0: Alright, hello and welcome everyone to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop, alongside me, as always, Shelby Kang. Shelby, we are into the final uh, days of December, it feels like, already.
1: Yeah, the year's just flown by.
0: I I, I was, like, trying to figure out what you were going to say there for a second. You were like, the year is just, and then, like... It looked like you were almost falling apart. The year really has gone by really quickly. It's hard to it's it's kind of hard to bring all those things together. It seems like a lot has happened this year, but in the same token, it seems like um, you know twenty nineteen just kind of popped up on us. Um, what types of things are you focused on this week?
1: Uh, well, there's a lot going on. Um, social media is one of them. One of the things that I'm actually excited to talk about um, in this podcast is um, Facebook came out with the Rising Trends report. Um, so I thought that's a fun thing that we'll touch on in a bit. Um, and also talking about Google Discover, so those are some of the things that we're focusing on today.
0: So tell me a little bit about this Facebook uh, report, this, uh, this the trending report.
1: Yeah, so um, Facebook IQ, which is um, Facebook's research arm, used first-party Facebook data and also third-party data. to kind of analyze which topics spiked um, throughout the year and what they think will be really popular in 2019. Um, So you can find the report, I'm sure, if you just Google the 2019 Topic and Trends Report, but I figured I could go through each um, category and kind of give you guys the little piece. I
0: haven't seen this yet, so I'm kind of interested to see uh, what the highlights are.
1: Yeah, so this is specific to Facebook users, but I think it's a pretty good general idea of what people want so as far as entertainment goes i guess horror stories and horror films were a big hit last year yeah, that seems to
0: make sense yeah
1: and so i guess the discussion about horror t- comics increased um seven and a half times wow that, the year. Seems,
0: that seems dramatic
1: yeah so if you're
0: i wonder usually there's like you can kind of pinpoint a particular um phenomenon or something like that that kind of like contributes to that but you know there are there are a lot of popular like Netflix shows yeah. and things like that. Like Stranger Things was really popular in right. the last couple of years, so I don't know if maybe that's leading to part of this trend or not. Yeah,
1: even on broadcast, they had a bunch of like American Horror Story. Yeah, that's been a popular Korean show. Queens and things like that. Um, when it comes to beauty and fashion, I guess Korean skincare is all the rage, hmm. um, along with natural and organic products. Um, I guess consumers, when it comes to commerce, they want eco-friendly everyday products, which I guess isn't all that surprising.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems like that, that has been a big movement here uh, recently. My wife and I were actually just talking about this the other day, about how uh, so many different, um, even like restaurants that were like fast food restaurants, like we, we drove past a pizza place and they were advertising that they served ca- like uh, cauliflower uh, crust. And um, while it's not eco or green necessarily, it is kind of like more health conscious. And I think people are just more conscious in general about their bodies and the environment and all these other things as we, you know, just as a human race, learn more and more about kind of like the impact that our biology has on all the different aspects of the planet and its impact on us. And so I, I think you're seeing just you know, major institutions and brands kind of take notice and implement those things into their overall philosophy.
1: Yeah, I think the most um, recent trend like that was like the paper straws, the biodegradable straws everybody's adapting now. Yeah. Um, When it comes to food and beverage, you mentioned um, cauliflower crust, so gluten-free is one of those things that's going, multicultural comfort food. Um, but. Even though we said gluten-free, I guess bread-making is starting to trend. And I've been seeing a lot of bread-making videos I have been too. On I've, Instagram. Been seeing, I've
0: been seeing that kind of uh, rise in the zeitgeist a little bit too. There's some uh, there's some folks that uh, I'll listen to on podcasts and things like that, and they'll talk about that as like a hobby they've adapted. And usually when you start hearing people kind of talk about that, um, it, it there's sort of a mass appeal.
1: Um, when it comes to mind and body... Wellness topics like intermittent fasting, self care, and productivity hacks. I think you do like.
0: I do a of, lot of those things. Yeah. yeah, otherwise I'm sure I'd fall apart. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it comes back to I think we're, you know, science is is um, is improving across the board, and I think you know uh, you can look back fifty years and um, a lot of the things that we thought we knew about. Um, about health and a lot of other things has changed. And I think now we're getting some better data maybe about what that looks like and about just kind of how nuanced it is. And so I think a lot of people are realizing to to really understand their health and understand um, just kind of their place in, in everyday life and society is something they have to experiment with a little bit. And so I think people are becoming a little bit more um, I guess kind of like, you know, the internet in a lot of ways has allowed people to be more independent. It has democratized information a little bit and I think because of that, people are taking on the same kind of approach when it comes to their lives and that includes both their health and their families and saying, well, listen, you know, maybe having three kids in a house, maybe, you know, that's not the system for me. I'm going to experiment, try maybe something different. or. You know, maybe just eating three square meals a day, maybe that's not for me. Maybe I'm going to experiment with four. Maybe I'm going to experiment with one, you know. And I think um, think that, that kind of that Internet revolution is finding its way into all these different other aspects
1: of life. Well, if you're like a travel or a leisure blogger, I guess wilderness and glamping are on the rise. I don't know
0: what those things are.
1: Oh, you know, like, um, it's called glamping, like glamorous camping. Oh, okay. So it's no longer writing about fancy hotels. Now it's about, I don't know, teepees and that, <laughs> hammocks. I mean, if
0: I was going to camp, I would. I suppose I'd want to glamp. I've talked before about how I'm not the biggest fan in the world of camping on this show, and I know you love the outdoors and... Love to climb. I'll I'll leave plenty of it for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and lastly, if you write about technology, then space and Mars is where it's at in twenty nineteen, which makes sense. Sp-
0: I feel like the space thing, um, it kind of goes in waves in terms of popularity. Like, and I, part of it, you know, I, I don't know if it, if the if the Hollywood uh, personification of it is a reflection of it or is the trigger, but you know, um, you know. I think maybe seven or eight years ago the movie Interstellar came out. and I remember lots of space stuff then and everybody was super into space. And then uh, here recently, the Martian and a lot of other kind of TV series and things like that around Mars has come out. Yeah, and space is kind of hot again and I think it'll kind of dip and then it'll get hot again and dip. Um, so yeah, I think space, zombies, um, you know, uh, like the Lord of the Rings, kind of medieval type of you know fantasy world. Uh, horror stuff. I think all those things kind of interchange and like they kind of go back and forth in terms of which ones are in pop culture the strongest.
1: Which one do we get tired of and then we? Zombies, the for... I think, is
0: on the decline right now. So you know, Walking Dead's kind of jumped the shark a little bit if you're a television watcher. Otherwise, you know, zombies were really hot a couple years ago. You saw it everywhere, and now it's just, it's kind of taking a back seat to some of these other things. But it'll come back around.
1: Um, The next thing I wanted to talk about, also related to social media, um, is that social media is outpacing print when it comes to news consumption. So about one-fifth of U.S. adults are currently getting their news from social media, which is slightly higher than the 16% of people who get it from um, print. But that being said, television is still in first place with 49% of people getting their news from TV.
0: That's really interesting. And I wonder the nature of the question itself, um, if that is like maybe either influencing the results or maybe people are thinking of news as a certain type of media consumption. But I, I find it really hard to believe that the vast majority of people aren't getting Informed um, initially about news uh, through the internet. I suppose it could still happen through television. But even you look at the television news outlets anymore, it would be really hard to get um, to rely on that as your primary source of news and information. Just the way that things have shifted and the kind of information that's available. But I may be looking at this, you know, through the lens of somebody that lives in this space that is a millennial. Um, and I think that that is a dangerous place to be is to assume that all people um, operate the way that you do. Um, we see that all the time with you know publishers and the way that they look at their visitors and things like that but I do believe that um, we are in a position now where um, you know there's never been greater access to information through social stuff but at the same time I think we also have to be careful about um, Saying this is how everybody gets their news and information because it it definitely still isn't quite the case yet.
1: Right. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was actually a blog post that you wrote, um, kind of outlining your five tips for speeding up WordPress websites.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting is um, you know you and I were talking about the fair right before we got on the site. I was I was messing with or got on the podcast. I was messing with a whole bunch of websites, basically you know doing everything from hand-tuning the CSS and the JavaScript to um, messing with the way that the CDN operates and figuring out what I can cache and what I can't without breaking the site and um, I, part of the reason I decided to dive into this is I've done this experiment several times where I've gone in and and attempted to speed up different sites just manually and as I started kind of digging into best practice I realized there's no there's not a really there's not a lot of really great content out there on how to do this. Most of the content out there will tell you to do something really simple that you've either already done or figured out, or it will tell you something to do really complicated that you can only really do if you're a developer. And so, I wanted to put together some information that I thought would be really helpful for somebody that had a WordPress site that ran runs their site through some tools and the tools are like you need to minify your javascript or you need to remove render blocking css above the fold. And all of a sudden, you're left kind of going, well, um, I don't really know how to do those things, Google. And you click on the documentation, and it's these developer docs, and you're just like, well, I wish you could just flip a switch. And um, while I don't really give you any switches to flip, uh, I do walk you through how to do a lot of those things. And I... Uh, in the blog post, which is at um you can read about basically, I'll walk you through step-by-step how to do basically five things that every WordPress site should be doing. I mean, there's some options in there, but for the most part, um, I, I try to come up with five things that would make every WordPress site faster, and then at the end, you know, there's some some directions about how to individually find what might be slowing down a site. But it's not it's not straightforward or simple. If you think you're going to just you know do something really easy and simple and it's going to make your website really fast or something there's not really those kinda of like super fast levers that you can pull and if your site's already moving pretty quickly um, I'm not sure that you know there's a lot of rewards for making it slightly faster um, you know Google and a lot of other people in the space keep talking about page speed right you hear it all the time at the conferences events publishers are asking about it you know and um, I think what we keep learning with more and more data is that making a site that loads in you know 3.3 seconds load in 2.9 seconds has almost no difference on user experiences SEO uh, ad revenue or anything like that M- making a site go from 10 to 3 is a pretty dramatic difference in all those things but um, unless your site's really slow um, or you know pretty medium it's not worth I think kind of Fretting over every little speed adjustment, but um, there are definitely some best practices that are low hanging fruit for most people.
1: Out of the five, which do you think is the most important one for publishers to look into? Well, it
0: depends. I mean, it depends on which ones you already have in place. But by far, the most important one is your CD and your caching, from for your for your users. Um, they'll get the most out of that for sure, and uh, it obviously has the it it has the uh, ability to improve your actual speed the most.
1: Alright, so I've been doing this in in our um, past podcast, but kind of going through a list and getting your thumbs up and thumbs down, um, I found a list of five overused SEO phrases to get rid of, and five hot phrases that they think will be trendy. Cool, I Um, love these. (laughs) So, we're going to start with the phrases to nix, the first one being SEO itself.
0: Um, I, this comes up a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't love the term, uh, as anybody that works in space does because it's, it's so much broader than that. I mean, the idea of search engine optimization makes it sound, I, I, maybe everybody just brings their own preconceived ideas of what that means into it. You know, I talked about last time I, I view it in two aspects, which is one is how do you technically create a nice, clean website that's easy for, people users and engines navigate, and then the second side, which is basically how do you create great content that people search for and, and then satisfies their queries. And I think those are really the two buckets, and um, as long as you can sit, visualize those two things, I think it's fine. I mean, the, the term's probably here to stay no matter what.
1: Right, I think the what they were saying in the article is it's like it's not optimizing for search engines; it's optimizing for user experience. And I'm like, oh wow, I fairly, I feel like I rarely ever read that sentence. So it's good to see that one. Um, the next phrase is link building. Is that something that's over with?
0: Um, I, I sure hope so. I really hate, hate, hate link building. I hate the idea of it. For those that have listened to some of the podcasts we've done in SEO before. Um, I there's nothing that I think could be a greater waste of your time than to be spamming people's inboxes asking them for links and things like that. I delete hundreds of those emails a week, and um, I think the best way to build backlinks is to share your content, which is something we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, effectively, and write great content and. Um, Honestly, good old-fashioned networking too, to a certain extent. Um, meeting other people in your space, or you know, other publishers, um, or people that you know, kind of work in the same space that you do, and, and being able to kind of actually find ways to collaborate so that you can, um, you know, share content back and forth. But I would really think of it in terms of content sharing and and exposure to different audiences. The idea of like actively going after links. Um, man, so many people have been burned through their, the, the successful practices that actually do build links are the ones that are usually the ones that are stomped out the fastest because they violate policies. And then the ones that don't work very good are such a massive waste of time that it's not even worth trying. So I hope we're done hearing about link building, <laughs> but we probably won't be.
1: Probably not. I'm going to combine the third and fourth, but white and black hat SEO. And can you also give like a brief explanation of the difference between the two?
0: Sure. So, uh, white hat is obviously kind of what I would say it falls on the f- side of um, all generally like go- Google Web Spam Policy compliant. So, anything that Google outlines in the Webmaster Guidelines, you're on the right side of that. Uh, and be in beyond that, I would say just generally writing content for people and um, building a website. That- for an audience as opposed to building it for a search engine or trying to you know really kind of hack something that you think a search engine might work a certain way so um, white hat is very much on the up and up black hat is pretty much anything that falls below that line so anything that's against google policy guidelines anything even if it's not against policy guidelines if the whole idea of it is to somehow circumvent um, the way you know Google or another search engine operates, so that you can maybe take advantage, like something that you would consider like a hack or something like that, like a true hack. Um, those types of things. Uh, what we've learned over and over again. I mean, like the the story of Google's algorithm is really the story of people that have found ways to try to manipulate it. If there's something that you're able to do and manipulate the search engine, um, even if it you're not being found out and Google is. Um, not aware of it they will be eventually they will figure it out if it's at all effective and they will find a way to penalize you for it or it'll stop working and you'll lose your ranking so it's better to invest your time in things that are uh, long-term effective
1: and the last one you just mentioned which which is an um, SEO hacks so maybe hack isn't the right word to kind of address or use alongside SEO
0: so I you know I've mentioned this before you know like I think one of the things that's made me really successful in my career is I'm really, uh, more than anything else, I'm a hacker. I'm, I'm good at finding uh, ways to do things more efficiently, and that's how I would kind of look at that. So SEO hacks, I think really it's a matter of like, you know, anybody could give you, quote, unquote, a hack, which is basically like an easier, better way to do something, you know. So like a hack for getting uh, a lot of your existing articles to rank higher and potentially get more traffic would be to um, uh, mark them up with rich data, Right? So, is that a hack or is that like, you know, a really clever tip, you know, for people that might not have rich data on their website? To me, I'm not worried as much about the semantics, is um, people understanding, you know, like if I tell somebody that, hey, this is a really great hack, and then I explain it to you and you realize it's a good thing, then great. If you think of hacks as something that's more on kind of that black hat side of the fence, then maybe not. I, I'm okay with the terminology, I don't love SEO. Um, as we mentioned before, but I think it's here to stay. And I think it's better that we don't get hung up on um, the semantics of terms uh, and, and really just try to do a better job in, in general of educating um, as many people as we can. Uh, I think SEO is gonna always have a bad uh, moniker to it and it's because of the early days of the space and because there are so many people out there that are offering quote unquote SEO services of all shapes and sizes And almost all of them are doing so at a value that is not commensurate with what they're charging. And um, that's unfortunate. And it's going to be that way for a while because most people don't really understand what it is.
1: All right, let's go over some up and coming phrases, or at least we'll see. Um, The first one is content marketing. Which is interesting because I don't necessarily think about SEO and content marketing to be like synonymous with each other. So
0: this is a trend. So um, it's this is one of those things that bounces back and forth. It's like space and zombies, right? So um, SEO was really hot for a long time and then people basically got to the point, the SEOs of the world realized, you know, um, you can't sell SEO if somebody just gives you a website and there's no hardly any content on it. And so they would basically say, well listen, the only way for you to get good SEO, quote unquote, is we need to write a lot of content. So if you have a Boots website and you have no Boots content, we need to write lots of articles about Boots and long tail terms about Boots. And that was like the strategy to um, uh, to get those sites to rank it. So they would say, well, it's not really SEO, it's content marketing. Mm-hmm. And it comes from basically the people that are selling services. And now there's these giant conferences like content marketing world that attract um, everyone that are... That have some kind of foot in the space all the martech and all that kind of stuff and so um, i do see those things and how they're connected um, i think there, there's a slight split now where you know um, i mentioned the two buckets of seo the kind of more technical how do you create a good uh, uh clean web infrastructure and then also like how do you create great content I think content marketing is this really broad term that's like, how does everybody create content? It could be for publishers, it could be for businesses that are trying to create content to attract customers, e-commerce businesses, anybody that's basically trying to use content to attract customers. You can use You could use content marketing through ads, you know, it doesn't have to only be organic. And so I think it's got its own kind of like, it's got its own momentum now.
1: Now there's, you said it was kind of a general term. Now there's a very... Um, interesting term SEO copywriting which I've never heard of but it kind of seems to be exactly what you described just under a new name
0: yeah I, I think it just it comes back to like what can you sell people you know and right. I think these businesses have to come up with ways to make it seem like they're going to provide you with so I mean a lot of these organizations will charge people by the month you know three or four grand some there's people listening to this for like three or four grand it'd be a bargain based on what I've paid before and um, If you're listening to this and you sell these services, I'm sorry, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do great work, but the truth is, is um, when you're charging somebody that much a month, you have to say, well, you know, where are those hours going? Where's that work going? You know, we have an SEO copywriter and they're generating this content and start to kind of do the math there and figure out, what is, what am I paying per word for this SEO copywriter? And, and just start to ask kind of some of those really fundamental questions about what it is the value that you're getting out of those services if you're, if you're paying for them. And if you're not, um, it's worth, you can just ignore this stuff because like I said, if you're a publisher, you have the two buckets, your infrastructure and then your content. And we've talked before about how you use data. Um, you can use data on both sides of the fence to basically figure out, you know, like how do you make them both better?
1: Um, the next one is artificial intelligence, which I hope is starting to become more popular among SEO. I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, I hear more and more about this. Um, it's strange because, well, we talked about this before. This is a challenge you and I deal with quite a bit, which is you know, data science, artificial intelligence, machine learning. These things are a little bit, um, uh, pe- they're they're just buzzwords that people don't really know what they mean. And so you kind of have to contextualize them, right? So artificial intelligence and SEO sounds really sexy, like SEO copywriter, you know, it's like, these, it's these terms so it's like, I'm not quite sure what that means, but it sounds like something I need. It sounds new, you know? Mm-hmm. And artificial intelligence for SEO, well, Google has been using AI and machine learning for a long time in the way that they're, in fact, I've heard people say before that Google is doing machine learning on the largest scale in history with the way that search works. Um, that said, if um, if we think that artificial intelligence is gonna like auto-optimize websites or something like that, I'd, I I think that that's I'd, I'd be selling on that stock if I was. Um, I'm sure there's somebody out there trying to build some kind of software for it, but the truth is is You can make uh, decisions and you can optimize aspects of both those things that I talked about, you know, the content and the infrastructure. So there's decisions that can be made there, but they're the same decisions a human can make. And so where AI or machine learning really comes in handy is when you have thousands and thousands of decisions to make and you have to make them all in real time. Um, uh, Our founder, uh, the founder of Zoic, Dwayne Lafleur, once told me, he said, you know, the goal of machine learning is to not, have machines replace the decisions that humans make. Um, Because humans make better decisions than machines right now and probably will for the foreseeable future for a lot of different things. Um, But he said, when you have thousands of decisions, your goal is to build a machine that can make a decision just slightly worse than a human could. And he's like, that way you can have machines make thousands and thousands of decisions that are slightly worse than a human would make but you can do it on a scale that you could never have a human make those decisions. And when you think about that in, in the context of SEO, um, if you have thousands and thousands of websites, it would make sense to have AI applied to them in some respect, applying the same, you know, uh, infrastructure settings, maybe applying some content rules across all of them. Um, but when you have singular websites, um, you could learn from behavior over time and make adjustments. Um, that's part of what you know. A lot of the research and experiments that we do here, um, but outside of those types of things, that maybe focus on user experience, um, it, it would be really hard to, I would think, modify. I, I don't know. I, I somebody else would have to maybe explain to me how some aspects of that would work.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned buzzword. I think this one, the next one, is just on the list because it's a buzzword. But virtual reality. We talked about it like once, how there was a a podcast using virtual reality to kind of help as a supplementary component for their their podcast. But I really can't see, you know, VR becoming an important role in SEO anytime soon. I
0: don't think so. Um,
1: Yeah, I think they put it in. They knew it was a buzzword. They're like, oh, people are going to love this.
0: Yeah, I feel like VR is in that hype cycle right now. I, I think it might be in the trough. Uh, have you ever seen the, um, the Gartner hype cycle before?
1: Uh, I don't know by its name, but you mentioned trough, so I'm pretty sure. So I know there's that.
0: the thing where everything ramps up and there's the point of inflated expectations and right. then the, the trough of dif- disillusionment and mm. then there's like that, that kind of slope <laughs> of actu- you know realization of the actual uh, benefit that something provides. I think everybody's kind of like eye rolling on VR right now. It was like really, really exciting when a lot of the developers were coming out with new stuff. And now we're in that point where people are like, ah, yeah, this stuff, it kind of is what it is. I don't really see it being applied. And I think now it's actually starting to make its way into different things. In terms of SEO, um, I mean, not in the not inside of the current confines of the system we have right now. Not to say it won't maybe be, there might be something there with uh, being able to, you know, search for virtual reality experiences or something like that. But I think we're a ways away. I think for 2019, we can table that one.
1: yeah. Um, and the last one, I think at least makes sense, but trust building.
0: Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, I'm i sort of familiar with this kind of terminology. Um, I really hate it because I know where it's going. It's going towards this freaking EAT stuff, E-A-T, and this uh, author authority and a lot of these other types of things that are out there, and I just got to say, like... If you if you follow and you discuss these things with the real engineers and developers and the people that spend lots and lots of time um, working on websites and working on rankings and building great content, both on the publisher side, on the Google side, um, from SEO people that I really respect, the, the opinions out there on this EAT stuff is just – it's almost maddening to these folks because they listen to it and it's just – it's being espoused by people that really have no idea what SEO is and they, they call themselves experts and I, I just can't tell you how much I hate it <laughs> because I think you have people that are making it seem like Google is some type of king sitting on a mountain saying, I like this content, I don't. This one's not written by, I don't see a bio page here by somebody that's an author and I can't see this author's name someplace else connected on the internet. It's like you, you become a conspiracy theorist, right? You, you read an article and you say, well... My author on this article was a doctor and they're published and I found another article on the internet where they're published as a doctor and so that person is going to get good authority and this article is going to rank higher because I have a you know a doctor that wrote this and that's not how Google that's how a human would look at something that's not how a search engine does now Google crawls by it crawls the, the internet. It goes out and finds stuff that's crawlable and then follows links and things along those lines. So that's what Google's doing. When A lot of this stuff is getting misconstrued and you're, people are um, are personifying a search engine and, and making it seem like its behavior is human and that's not how they work at all. So um, uh, Bill Slosky is a guy you should go and read uh, his information about Google patents and how... Uh, Google Search actually works um, would be really enlightening if you're wondering more about that information.
1: All right. And the last thing I have on deck today is um, something I found off search engine land, which is how to optimize for Google Discover. Um, So Google Discover, formerly Google Feed, which is Google's take on a social media feed. Um, This feed is based on the user's browser history rather than relying on the user to enter into a typical search. Um, the Discover feed just gives the information before um, the user ever searches. So a lot of the same SEO rules apply to Google Discover even though there isn't a search query, but here are some helpful tips that Search Engine has kind of outlined. Um, the first one being creating quality and engaging content. Um, I guess. Engaging is especially important because Discover doesn't take any of what your friends or followers, their activity into consideration like other social platforms. Discover relies solely on the content that the user is engaged with. The next one is to use images and videos to rank, and this is because Google's pointed out that users would be seeing more images and fresh visuals. And the last one is to create both new and evergreen content. But I actually personally have never used Google Discover, but...
0: You and everyone else.
1: You and everyone else. I know. I might get into it, though, because I kind of like the idea of something that uses my browser history. I know some people are, like, super against it, but I don't have enough time in the day to go search so for I, I, I like need. it, too,
0: and I think that uh, generations... Um, so, so early adopters uh, and kind of the late millennial generation like myself. I don't know if I'm a late millennial. I don't know. I'm 31. So, however old that is, I'm 31. Uh, Shelby is, is younger than me, in case you couldn't guess by her being in school. Um, and so, I would say generally uh, folks our age and younger that are technology users probably feel that way about it, which is basically... Um, Yeah, use my browser history, use information that you've gathered from my behavior uh, to make my life easier and better, right? Uh, And then I would say older generations and then people that are probably a little bit more apprehensive about uh, technology in in general or maybe even just skeptical of a lot of these larger organizations like Amazon or whoever. Um, Yeah, I, I get that. Are are probably going to be like a little bit more turned off by that, but um, I, it's not that I don't think the idea isn't isn't good. Um, and I think if you're a publisher, you have to pay attention to this kind of stuff. Um, we'll see if it catches fire. I mean, Google is hit or miss on this type of stuff for the most part, and um, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be betting my bottom dollar on it, but it's interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's all I have for today. Do you have anything exciting going on in the world?
0: That's it for, for us. Um, I've, I've had a lot of fun doing this podcast uh, this year. It's certainly evolved a lot, especially a big part of that's uh, having Shelby come and, and keep us on track here. Um, but beyond that, it's been a really it's been really great to see the growth of it and to hear feedback from listeners. So we want to thank you for joining us all year long as we've gone through this podcast. and hopefully you're having a happy holiday season and enjoying all the different uh, trappings that come with that. And um, just, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll catch you next time on The Publisher Lab.